0: the word continue says a lot about how video games have evolved it used to be a dare to insert more coins and nowadays it's a promise right there at the top of the main menu welcome to triple Click, where we bring the games to you we're so glad that you decided to continue listening to us so this week we're answering your burning questions about in-game morality silent nintendo characters and our favorite moment in a new video game i'm
1: kirk hamilton
2: I'm Maddie Myers.
1: And I'm Jason Schreier. And we are back Hey, for
0: here we are. Episode. Here we are. Hello.
2: It's us. Hello, my We're friends.
0: Here. Three podcasters ready to do some <laughs> podcasting for all of you wonderful people. And you know who is particularly wonderful? Are those among mm-hmm. you Our who are favorites. Maximum Fun members. <laughs> Our absolute favorites. The people who support the creation of Triple Click by being members of Maximum Fun, which you can join their ranks if you go to MaximumFun.org slash join. And if you do that you'll feel really good about helping us make the show you'll be our favorite which is also pretty cool but also <laughs> you will get access to the bonus feed of all the maximum fun bonus episodes including monthly bonus episodes from triple click and uh, this mo- this latest one that's going to come this coming monday is about the tv show mythic quest where we talk for an hour all about A TV show about game development, which was really fun, which is really fun to make.
2: Yeah, it was fun. And it's two seasons and two episodes in between the two seasons. All of them pretty good. There's a lot to talk about
0: and quite an arc over the course of that
1: show. Kirk, tell us how to become Maximum Fun members. How can we possibly uh, participate in this system where we get bonus episodes? Well,
0: I I did already say the URL, but I will say the URL again. It is MaximumFun.org slash join and uh, that's where you become a member so uh, yeah go become a member if you want to and if you don't that's okay too just listen to the show
1: yeah I mean even if you said it once I think you need to end on it so people just like get that lasting uh, mm-hmm. uh, and like add in like in some subliminal
2: head. messaging of it into mm-hmm. the theme exactly. song and, and mm-hmm. just like mix exactly. it down maximumfun.org <laughs> <really laughs> the that may
0: or may not be in that way join, join <laughs> <org/join> maximum <laughs> join fun. Like, fun to join. the bass <laughs> slash join <laughs> yeah, like work it into the upper harmonics <laughs>
1: Oh man. Um, Okay, so this week we are doing a burning questions Mm -hmm. episode. It is way too hot to handle these questions. Every time I I pick one up out of our mailbag, it just sets sets my hands on fire. (laughs) Yeah, just like uh, Link when he... uh, he (laughs) <laughs> he stumbles on lava. Um, Kirk, you want to answer that? Uh... Yeah,
0: I'll take this first one. Um, Joshua writes, he, he had a, a sort of preface here, but this is the crux of his question. What are the pros and cons of a game really letting the player make their own choices in the game's world, including, like, horrible, you know, terrible decisions that harm lots of people? Uh, Joshua writes, are the moral implications within a game world the concern of games' developers? Is this just me getting old and repackaging an anti-video game fear like violent video games make for violent kids, or would games that allow you to play as, say, a xenophobic racist, even in a fantasy world, have the potential to affect the player's real life? Hmm... See, okay, I, I
1: I have an interesting take on this. The whole point of, or one of the points of art is to challenge you and make you think about things in a way that you wouldn't normally think about them. And I actually think it's a very good thing for games to challenge you in ways like this, where like potentially you could do horrible things or say horrible things. Um, Disco Elysium, the three of us were talking about in reference to this question, where that's a game mm-hmm. where you can be a fascist and a racist and you can really say some awful things. And I think what's really important for a game to do, if it allows you to do that, is to present the consequences of doing and saying those things. So I think a game where like like something like postal where you're just committing wanton virus violence and that's the point of the game um, that to me is way less interesting um, and and way less uh, I guess impactful way, way less important. Um, than a game like Disco Elysium where you actually have to face the consequences of, of, of saying those things and how people interact with you as a result. Or even something like GTA, which is kind of the or example of this, where if you run around killing everybody, the cops are going to chase after you and eventually the cops will take out their helicopters and try to figure out how to gun you down. But um, uh, I think the point of... Of, I mean, I think as long as you are dealing with the appropriate consequences as a result of doing bad things in a video game, I think it's perfectly mm. fine. And in fact, I think it can be really healthy for a game to allow you to explore bad behavior.
2: Yeah, mm. I agree. I'm, I'm also OK with the fact that games exist where you can do violent things and it's not good or commented on by the game at all. Like, I think it's OK for bad mm. art to exist. And that, again, that's more about platforms and how they regulate the dissemination of bad art or hateful art and just like do those platforms want to host it or not and I mean it's kind of again it's why it's so similar to to the first question it's like the onus is on steam for example to be like do we want like a rape simulation game on our platform or not Steam usually will pull games like that from its platform because it doesn't actually want to sell games of that nature, but it'll still sell a game, for example, where you might be really violent or engage in in some hateful contact, and not have it be condemned by the game itself. I agree with you, though, Jason. I think it's a lot more interesting when a game does what Disco Elysium does, where there are a whole lot of different choices in terms of your character's politics and the game pretty much judges you no matter what you pick (laughs) and in a fun way where like you get pushback from everyone in the game's world. And like it, it, underscores how difficult it is to face these moral quandaries in life and like what form of government is the correct way to to have a society be set up. It doesn't really have a good answer to that. And I think that kind of art is really cool and challenging. And like, why not? Why not have that be the case? But I, I do feel like there's a pretty big difference between something like that game and something... That is just you know a Nazi made this game to recruit other Nazis, which you know I'm sure Mm -hmm. that exists as well, and that's or a game
1: where you have to inject the COVID vaccine in people and then they get like I don't know yeah their hair catches on fire
2: yeah 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 yeah. I mean I'm sure that's out there too. There was always a lot of weird games on new grounds back in the day where it's just like (laughs) you kill Osama bin Laden or whatever. I mean there were there I don't know you can always find games that have a terrible. Dumb message out there. You nothing you can do about that,
1: right? But yeah, I mean the the distinction that you bring up is really important, which is that like anyone should be able to say what they want, just like anyone should be able to create whatever, or anyone should be able to create whatever art they want, just like anyone should be able to say what they want. Um, but I think that like once you are dealing with these platforms where anyone can reach millions and millions of people, um, whether it's through Steam or Facebook, then you start to have different responsibilities as platform holders, and you have to have certain limitations of what can be published
2: yeah i already disagree with myself though now that you lay it out like that like i don't know maybe Mm. there's games that shouldn't exist i don't know ask me (laughs) tomorrow and i'll like have a different opinion about this you know what i mean like it it does feel kind of unsolvable like especially with stuff like conspiracy theories where i'm like these are legitimately harmful things that get into people's brains and fill them with misinformation and we're all susceptible to propaganda we're all susceptible to the allure of a conspiracy theory like that stuff is dangerous <laughs> it's like poison mm. in, in human brains you know i mean
0: so it's helpful for me to look at joshua's questions that the questions that he wrote down because the question are the moral implications within a game world the concern of the game's developers like yes i think mm-hmm. that they are But that doesn't mean that you need to make a game in which every action is moral. I mean, the power of video games, or one of the great powers of video games, right, is that they're kind of empathy generators. They allow us to inhabit other people. Um, That's one of the great things about Disco Elysium, is you can come up with this completely different person from you and then live in a world that really reacts to that person in all of these believable ways. Um, And that is really interesting. Even if you're behaving in a way that you personally would consider immoral, you can then experience the world you know through the through the eyes of somebody else who does these other things and that can go in all these really interesting directions if the people writing and creating the game are really thoughtful about it and then they can be completely thoughtless as well and it doesn't have to be as straightforward as something like hatred remember that game where it's just like yes. a mass shooting simulator mm-hmm. like it doesn't have yeah. to be mm-hmm. as clear cut as that it can just be you know, however many war games you've played where you're just shooting vaguely Middle Eastern people for hours and hours, like, that alone, there's a moral consideration to that, and it's kind of just thoughtlessly put in a whole bunch of games, and you play it for long enough, and it does maybe kind of, you know, color how you think about war in some, maybe in some superficial way or maybe in a in a deeper way. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I think that that's something that game developers need to think about, just like all artists need to think about it for their art. And um, it just takes on a new kind of, a new level with video games because of the interactivity allows you to empathize with people doing so many different things. But that can be really interesting and it can be, you know, artistically meaningful to have the player do immoral things and be, behave as somebody um, despicable or evil even. yeah. Okay, let me take the next
1: question. This is from Ryan. This is a little bit lighter. Ryan (laughs) says, Hi, Triple Click. What's your favorite moment with a new video game? Is it buying it at the store? The opening sequences? The middle of the game when you're in your groove? Maybe the ending when you roll credits and digest and reflect your emotions and feelings? For me, it's loading it up and seeing a brand new main menu screen. New music, new art direction, new vibes, new everything. All at once, all rolled up into one. So this has
0: changed for me. It used to be so... Back in the maybe like like 2007 to 2009 when I was first getting back into video games, for me it was all about the tutorials. I just loved tutorials and couldn't get enough of them <laughs> because wow. it was it's sort of similar to what Ryan is saying. It was the new game thing where I was just so excited to be playing a new game. And I loved going through the whole long process where it shows you all the stuff you can do just because the whole game is still ahead of you and it's kind of exciting but these days I don't feel that way anymore. And I think that this is, you know, more than 10 years later and an entire career as a games journalist come and gone and in that time I played so many games and also have access to so many more games which is certainly true because I get a lot of games for free but I think it's probably true for a lot of people because free games have become such a thing and between Steam sales and everything else like everybody has a billion games and nowadays when I play the tutorial I'm kind of like oh my god I know that like whatever how a parry works I know yeah. how to aim down my well, sights Well a lot more games
1: exist also now than also they did true, uh, also true. years
0: ago So so it's very rare that I'll be super excited to be playing through the tutorial, um, but what I do really like now—my favorite moment with a new game—is um, a mo—it's the moment when the game demonstrates that it's got something going on. Um, And this is a kind of a specific thing, and I really like it because it's not always that common. Um, And sometimes a game just takes a while to get going. You know, you play for like five or six hours. You really are kind of in it, and then you're like, oh, okay, I like this. I'm into it. But every now and then, and this actually just happened with uh, the game that's going to be my one more thing, Ghost of Tsushima, which I finally started playing uh, just last night. And that game, the opening sequence, is this pretty drawn out, you know, cinematic sequence. You're fighting, you're fighting, whatever. It's beautiful look. It's kind of like a samurai movie. And it's a lot of tutorials, familiar stuff, you know, it's a very like Ubisoft meets Neo kind of a deal. But then when you first get on your horse, you're then riding and like the, the camera goes down low behind the horse and the horse is like riding through these beautiful woods. And I saw this huge field just ahead of me, like out of just out of sight coming into view this field of like beautiful white flowers. And I'm like, oh man, here we go. And the music starts coming up and I'm like, I feel a title card coming on and it's like Sucker Punch Presents. And I'm like oh here we go and he like pulls out and Ghost of Tsushima comes up as your uh, protagonist he like leans off the side of his horse and runs his hands through the flowers and the music is playing and the title screen is there and I was like this rules and that moment It's not that common, but when that kind of moment happens, I'm like, this is a real thing. These people are kind of firing on all cylinders. This is a moment that I'm experiencing. I really love that when a new game does that.
2: Mm. Yeah, you're really taking me back to playing Twilight Princess on the Wii, Mm. like the night that I got those things and like how exciting that felt like seeing Link on the horse It doesn't even look that good compared to Ghost of Tsushima (laughs) but it just you took me back to that moment in time of like that new game plus new console feeling of excitement about Mm -hmm. what what the world could hold (laughs) uh normally though I would say the main menu screen like Ryan I it's like after the game's installed and you're starting it up for the first time, it's like a similar feeling to opening a physical copy of a game. So it's like never mm-hmm. do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I used to feel like that was very exciting to like look at the little booklet and and take sure. the game out and be like, it's mm-hmm. a new yeah. game and the put it in instruction manual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course, none of that exists anymore. So I feel like the equivalent of that is like it's done installing and you're clicking on it for the first time. And you're like, what do you got, video game? And it's like whatever booting up it has is, is very exciting to me in just a core way. What about you, Jason?
1: Mm, uh, yeah, it used to be for me, just like you, Maddie, like ripping up into the plastic and picking up the instruction manual and being like, oh, these are the characters I'm going to get to recruit in my party, this JRPG. Um but, uh, nowadays, it's, um. I don't know. A couple of different things. I, I like. I really like the moment when you really get the hang of the game's mechanics, and it's like, oh, okay, this is what your deal is. This is what mm-hmm. this game is going to be for the next few hours. And then, like the uh, second boss. <laughs> yeah. Well, or like the moment where it's like, okay, I cleared out this outp- outpost. Now I think I'm getting the hang of what this game is going to be. But even better than that is a moment where they subvert your expectations, and it's like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. this game is going in a totally different. Direction now, um, which is kind of abstract, but like I like it a lot when like a game presents a mechanic and then asks you to use that mechanic in a very different way um, down the road. Like when a game, I don't know. Here's a random example, like in Uncharted 4, when you spend a bunch of time shooting, and then the game asks you to use that same mechanic to like use your nerf gun and like shoot down some mm-hmm. some nonsense in Nathan Drake's house. Um that mm-hmm. sort of thing I, I always like when when a game uses a mechanic in more than one way. Um but yeah, I think once you get the rhythm of a game is is what I like. Um nice. let's do another question, Maddie. Yeah.
2: yeah, so this is from Nicholas, who writes I've been following the Activision Blizzard news with, I guess, both disgust and fascination as multiple sides argue in public about what's really happening. How do you guys as journalists parse out the facts from fiction in a case like this? Aside from believing the people who went through that chit show, which is the obvious right answer, I assume all this will continue to shake out over time. But I would like to know what you think. So this is an interesting mm. question that I think is more of a journalism question. Like how, yes. how would you as a reporter approach allegations and what can you write about and and so on and i mean cannot (laughs) cannot
1: resist a good journalism ism
3: question i know we gotta get
2: into the weeds right so since i read this jason do you want to explain what happens when a journalist receives a set of allegations and and what you do after that
1: yeah i mean in this case well in a lot of cases it's like well I can talk about the specifics here because there's some some of the stories by the way Kirk it's funny I was thinking before when you said uh, like a lie how a lie will just continue to like propagate when it's repeated Mm -hmm. um gamer uh the worst people in the world have continued and do continue to spread the lie that i quote unquote knew about activision blizzard but sat on it because i wanted to uh keep my blizzard context um which is ridiculous if you look at the amount of things number of things that i've reported about blizzard over the past few years but um uh, the reason that they're doing that is because I said um, that I had heard a couple of rumors about Activision Blizzard, and this is a good opportunity to expand upon that a little bit. Which is that sometimes you'll get an email, you'll get a tip, you'll get a call, you'll hear something secondhand. Um, in this particular case, I had had a couple of conversations with people who worked at Blizzard and told me some stories. And there are a lot of things you have to do as a reporter. You have to. You can't just like like maybe as a human being, you can just say, "Yeah, you know what? I believe you. You're talking about." Um, Ex harassment you're talking about ex abuse you're you're, you're telling me the story Um, I don't think you're lying but as a reporter you can't that's not the bar that you can abide by you have to have a higher standard and you have to find other people who are willing to corroborate oftentimes in a story like this if you're the first reporter who's writing about this and there's nothing public about it you almost need to find people who will use their names and go on the record because uh, you allowing granting people anonymity is not a great standard for something as serious as an Accusation of sexual harassment, sexual abuse, sexual misconduct, that sort of thing. Um, To answer Nicholas's question on a fundamental level, the way you parse out facts from fiction is assuming you cannot, you haven't seen or heard something yourself and you're just relying on people giving you testimonies, the best way to do it is to hear the same story from as many people as possible. If you hear the story, same story from ten different people, um, even if the details are a little ha- hazy um, or, a little, or a little different from person to person, you can piece together what really happened. Um, and it's important when you're talking to those people to make sure that they're all not like in cahoots. They're not one friend group. They're all like in different different maybe parts of the organization or different different departments or don't know each other super well or whatever it is. There's a lot of kind of intricate steps you have to go through. But as a general rule, the more people you can get telling you the same thing, the more certain you can be that it is true. Um, and I think what, what happened with Activision Blizzard is that the reason that so many people spoke up and it became such a big like pivotal story is because all of these people were sharing similar stories and just combined and, 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 hearing that the lawsuit was out mm-hmm. and hearing that other people were doing it made made other, even more people feel inclined, feel like they they could be comfortable to share their own story and compound it. It really created this effect where where it really felt like but that's not to say that like every single person and every single account is objectively the truth and as a reporter you have to kind of like sort that out. Um, something else that drives me crazy that I see a lot in reporting that I try very hard to avoid doing and I think the, the, the better journalists try to do is when you are granting someone anonymity to tell a story like about sexual misconduct or abuse or whatever else you have to be really careful about what you print from them Um, especially if they're using kind of squishy descriptions and um, saying that someone is like 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 if you're if someone is anonymous and they're talking about someone else and they're saying this person is manipulative or this person was a bully to me That doesn't mean anything. And as a journalist, you have to kind of print what actually happened. You can't print their subjective descriptor of what happened because Mm. that is how you wind up in a situation where it's like, how do you determine facts or fiction when like anyone could say that anyone's a bully and mean a bazillion different things or anyone could say that anyone's manipulative or gaslighting or whatever and mean a billion things. So another important way to separate the facts from fiction is to make sure that what you're printing is 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 Concrete. It's what it's things that happen. It's this person said this, this person did this, rather than this person is this or this person acted like this. Um, Yeah, there are a million more kind of rules of thumb that journalists use, but those are some of the basic ones. Uh,
2: Maddie, what about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> I think the other thing that readers can consider is just who's reporting on this and what, what outlet is it? And is it an outlet that's reputable enough that you feel like you can trust them? And also, just, just to answer the how do you parse fact from fiction, we'll never know all the facts, but you can read a reporter's work and be like, how many people did they talk to? And also, what what did those people back up as Jason was talking about? Like how many of those people said the same thing? Like if you read a quote from somebody that's pretty abhorrent and then the next sentence in the story is like, I confirm this with six other people. That's, that's all the more damning because it's like, Oh, this reporter in that one sentence summarized like, several phone calls that they did that are not not pictured and like not not elaborated upon but that's that's the amount of work that they put in to uh do their best to validate that claim and then also what you don't see is like the lawyer meeting about the story where they were like how many people did you talk to for every single one of these claims and usually lawyers will be like if you want to say sources here it can't just be two sources it has to be at least three for example otherwise you would say the specific number of sources, at least in our reporting, usually we say the number of people as opposed to just a dozen employees corroborated this, we'll say 11 or 13 or whatever, to be as specific as possible, or maybe it really is 12, and so on. So it's those are just the the level of consideration that reporters, at least for reputable outlets, are putting in when they're doing this kind of work. And the other, yeah, I just... Also, I, too, had heard rumors about Blizzard and Activision over the years. I had always wanted to report on it in the past, but many times people would just say they weren't comfortable coming forward with what they had heard. And you can't really do anything if you're a reporter in that situation other than just hope that eventually the person will want to come forward. But you can't force them to because that's unethical and you can't break their trust by printing something you heard and... So that you're kind of stuck at that point. You can't you can't report on something unless somebody's willing to go on the record with you and that's the bind we're in sometimes.
1: Yeah, in this case, uh, a lot of people didn't want to talk because they were talking to the California Department of Housing yes. and Employment. And so, <laughs> which uh, is a good reason that's not the, to want to talk. Position, yeah, yeah, definitely. But that's a position I was in where I kept running into brick walls in the re- course of trying to report on Blizzard um, and specifically in regard to sexism. Um I mean, now I can talk about this now that my story is up. I had heard three years ago, actually, I got a tip. Um, or maybe my, co- or maybe our former colleague Cecilia got a tip. One of us or both of us got a tip um, shortly after her riot piece ran three years ago that Blizzard had mysteriously fired Ben Kilgore and nobody knew why, but there were rumors about sexual harassment and um, finally included some of that stuff in the story that I published on Bloomberg a couple of weeks ago, but that was a name that I like in conversations since then. So for three years now, I had asked like dozens of blizzard people while talking about other stuff like, Oh, by the way, did you ever hear why Ben Ben Kilgore was fired? And there was just never any concrete answer. still to this day. There aren't a lot of people who actually know what happened. A lot of concrete answers about what happened. Um, there's a little bit more now that he was specifically mentioned in the lawsuit, but, um, But yeah, I mean, these things can like like there there are a lot of stories that reporters learn that they can never confirm and never share. And sometimes like the most harrowing stuff you have to sit on as a reporter because it could potentially identify the people who spoke to you and who don't want to be identified. It's really, really um, not not pleasant to do this job sometimes Um, as 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 much it's it's like obviously way less pleasant to be in that situation where you have to be telling a story because you went through something horrible um but it can also be pretty brutal to be like oh man like i heard this horrible thing about this person and i can't even do anything with it so Mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot a lot to kind of get through especially when you're covering sexual misconduct and harassment and this sort of story yeah um okay cool so uh kirk you want to read the next question
0: Yeah, I think we can knock this one out real quick. Uh, This comes from Bruno. This is a three-parter. Bruno writes, I'm a big fan of your work, which I've been following since you all were at Kotaku. Thank you for making an excellent show. It's helped him remain sane during the pandemic. And he has Mm. three questions for us. He says they're very silly. I think they're very fun. Question one, when are you finally going to do a Lost Beans cast? I love that show, and I keep thinking about this every time Jason mentions it. Let's answer these in Mm -hmm. order. When are we going to do anytime. a Lost Beans well, cast?
2: Why do you think we can answer this quickly? This is, this is... <laughs>
0: anytime. Well, because the answer <laughs> is answer. not anytime soon. But because I <laughs> want to like to re-watch, rewatch the show, <laughs> so probably this not for there. a while. Unfortunately, Bruno is the answer to this one. Because yeah, like I don't even remember, or there was a whole season I didn't watch. I'm prepared to do it right now. I know Lost well enough. <laughs> Jason's I do it right
2: prepared. Now. It's really being Jason is prepared, so though.
0: Unfortunately, the answer remains not anytime soon because I am not prepared. <laughs> so it'll be a little longer. <laughs> I thought you were going <laughs> to yes. say, unfortunately, the answer remains not. Not Penny's boat. <laughs> Not Penny's boat. <laughs> um, so uh, question number two, which I can answer very easily, is does future Kirk record a new bing sound every time he chimes in or does he use the same recording every time? Bing! Kirk from the future here just uh, binging my way into the episode so that you can have an example of what this question was talking about. Okay, back to you, past Kirk. Bing! Uh, the answer to this is that I make a new one every time. And I may- this was something I did like I was going to use a tone, I think forever ago that one of the first times I did that when I like interjected and then I just didn't want to deal with it so I just made the sound myself and now it's sort of become a thing there's even an, an like a uh, reaction emoji on the triple click discord for Bing but no and I kind of <laughs> wonder if it's always the same pitch or not like if I just because I kind of put it in the same place so I have some thoughts about the Bing that I'll maybe explore <laughs> at, a future, at a future date. But no, I just do... it's
2: a full-length episode. You should episode. do a
0: strong
1: songs just about the <laughs> just Bing. Just <on> about
0: the Bing. <laughs> um, But no, it's, it's a, new, a new one that I make myself every time that I do it. Um, and the final thing that Bruno has, this isn't a question, but he just wants us to know. He writes, by the way, one more thing in Spanish is Una cosa más. So that is what it is, Jason. Una cosa mas. That is what you
2: can yeah, say. Yeah, I, like,
1: I feel like we looked that up afterwards. But yes, yeah, so that's good to know. I
0: don't know if we've ever said it on the show. We've just had your, your fragmentary oh, okay. yeah, and incorrect versions. That you yeah, we're like, just,
2: we've just discussed it extensively off air. Uh, uh, okay. you've
0: occasionally said. So um, he wanted to just share that. So thanks so much, Bruno. And we're glad you like the show.
1: <laughs> thanks, Bruno. Um, let's knock out this one last question, and then we will take a break for una, casa mo- una, una cosa mas. There you go. Um, Jordan says, Hey, I'm playing Mario golf on switch and the story mode is really grating because characters just repeat, Hey, Hey, and yo, ho, every time they speak, do you think Nintendo gets an unfair pass for having very little voice acting in most of their games? Um, I have some thoughts on this, but I think that like, uh, actually more game developers should do this. Like, why does every game need to have voice acting? Like, I'm I'm perfectly happy. I feel like Nintendo actually makes a lot of, like, takes a lot of risks and does a lot of games and franchises that don't sell a bazillion copies, and that's what makes them different from the other big game publishers. And if that, if, like, not having voice acting in your games is what it takes, then sure, by all means, go for it. I'll, I'll happily exchange, exchange no voice acting for, like, more WarioWare games and Mario mm-hmm. Golf and other weird stuff than Nintendo does.
2: Yeah I like it when a game has little exclamations too I think we talked about this with Danganronpa like right, way like back way that, in the day yeah, yeah, yeah. where there are like a few little unique exclamations that the characters have that make it really special because you're like oh I've never heard that one before and mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. feel like it ever quite Persona got also Persona 5 yeah, the Yeah Persona same does it as well yeah I, I agree Mario Golf gets a bit repetitive so I feel like the key here is that if you're not going to have voice acting and you're just going to have character specific exclamations you got to diversify it just enough like generally i feel like legend of zelda games do okay at this when mm-hmm. they are having characters just exclaim rather than read an entire line
0: yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I so I, I love those little exclamations in visual novels because especially in Danganronpa, they're really specific a lot of times, but they also yeah. are really flexible and it's so weird. I want to, like, the process of writing those and, cr- and, like, coming up with whatever 15 things a given character is going to say must be so interesting. I'm sure they have, like, categories that they all fit into. And it's some mm-hmm. of them are always so weird and so fun, especially in that game but in Persona 2. And yeah, there are all these, Nintendo takes different approaches to this. Like, I've just noticed Um, replaying uh, Skyward Sword that in that Link will do the thing I believe he does it he does it in some of the games I think he does it in that where he'll actually kind of Talk, but it just won't make any sound. He'll kind of gesticulate like he's talking, mm-hmm. and then characters yes. will react to him and you'll have to learn what he said, even though no <laughs> one's actually talking. There's no voiceover dialogue, it's all written out. But like he doesn't even they don't even write his dialogue. He just pantomimes yeah. it and it is implied that he said something, which is very different than than you know, just sort of hearing, oh, you know, when Luigi says something in a Mario and Luigi game. But I can't think of anything that would be more cursed than if Mario just started talking in full sentences. <laughs> with some actor so i hope they never do that so i'm not gonna i definitely don't think they get an unfair pass for that they they are focused on other things and uh-huh. it's just part of their whole vibe at this point and i think it's totally fine like i have no complaints about mario not speaking and i think i would have complaints if mario started <laughs> if talking it would be a problem it's too me. late now
2: he's yeah. only allowed to yeah. talk in the super mario brothers movie and the super mario brothers super show He's been right, talking about That's, sufficient. Those, that's those fine. Venues. That was enough.
1: <laughs> but in the I mean, in the games he does say a couple of things like uh yeah. Mamma Mia. And, no right, yeah, let's go. Right. Yeah,
2: right. that's true. But that's all he has but to say. But even
0: if he said like, Luigi, we have to go rescue Princess Peach, <laughs> like even that, it would be like the worst <laughs> thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, what if he talked and he sounded like a like a New Yorker? Like an Aston. <laughs> He's like, right. Hey, Bowser, I'm walking here. I'm fucking walking
0: here. <laughs> Come
1: on, man. <laughs> All right. Um, let's take a break, and then we'll be, we will be back with Una Cosa Mas. Are you feeling elevated
3: levels of anxiety? Do you quake uncontrollably even thinking about watching cable news? Do you have disturbing nightmares, only to realize it's two in the afternoon and you're up? If you've experienced one or more of these symptoms, you may have FNO, news overload. Fortunately, there's treatment. Hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters helps fight FNO. That's because Troubled Waters stimulates your joy zone. On Troubled Waters, two comedians will battle one another for pop culture supremacy, so join me Dave Holmes for two to two doses of troubled waters a month. The cure for your news overload available on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts hey folks it's me james arthur m host of minority corner your home through these bewild wild times for weekly doses of pop culture history news nerdy stuff and more through a bipoc queer and allied lens that's how you get joel schumacher putting nipples on batman yeah i did it at, like, and i say no. this as a game i say this as a gay man didn't ask for it. I don't need to see Batman's <laughs> nipples on his suit. Who is this for? <laughs> Who is this for? I did a bunch of research. I wanted to just know about the history of black people in Argentina. So not only did they erase black people from their history, they also started to flip and use it as slurs. We're not done. Like, we're not done with the work that needs to yes. be done. And so stay awake. So join me and some of your new BFFs every Friday here on Maximum Fun to stay informed, empowered, and have some fun. Minority Corner, because together we're the majority.
1: And we are back. Kirk, Maddie, it is time for one more thing. Maddie, kick us off.
2: Okay, so I played and defeated a game called Boyfriend Dungeon. Dungeon, Mm. I can talk. Boyfriend
1: Dungeon. You have defeated the boyfriend.
2: I have defeated the boyfriend, and I have collected many boyfriends along the way. I've defeated the Boyfriend Dungeon, I guess. The Mm.
0: Dunge, as I believe it's it's called.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, this game is only like six hours, so it's not actually that Mm -hmm. impressive that I've beaten it. I think I... I almost 100%ed multiple dating arcs and did so in like five hours and 45 minutes or something something like that. Not that I'm I'm counting. I was. Uh, This is an indie dating game, Dating Sim plus Dungeon Crawler by Kit Fox Games. Came out a couple weeks ago. It's been a little bit of a controversy about it on Games Twitter because there is a content warning at the beginning of the game. That I'm paraphrasing uh, because I don't have it in front of me. But it basically tells you that there's going to be stalking and harassment in the game. And you can't avoid it. There's a central character in this game. He is the first guy that you go on a date with. You have to go on a date with him. His name's Eric And he becomes a central character in the game. And uh, there was a thread that went like semi-viral within the microcosm of games, Twitter, where somebody was like, there should be the option to not have to interact with this character. And I I don't think that person beat the game. Uh, I doubt they did. Uh, But you couldn't beat the game without interacting with him because, again, he's a central character and the entire game is sort of combining the experience of dating with dungeon crawling and The idea is that working together with one of your partners, your partners in this game can become weapons that you Mm -hmm. wield in battle. So like there's a, you know, sexy sword guy who's like a fencer when he turns into a human. And there's like a cool bisexual dagger lady and she's somebody you can date. She was my my first (laughs) completed storyline. And that is sort of what the game is about, but it's also about like bad dating experiences and meeting people who you don't gel with. And what is that like? And I would say the game is it's fine. I, I, I wish that I had liked it more so that I could vociferously defend its portrayal of abuse and, and be like, it's it's good that games are really taking these risks. And I do think that, like just as we were talking about in the letters section of our show, I think it's great that this game exists. I think it's fine that they have an a entire storyline about somebody who harasses you and stalks you. And I even think it's fine that you can't avoid it. I knew what I was getting into when I played the game. And I just kind of was like, Okay, that's fine. I did kind of a weird thing where I just didn't respond to any of his texts. And I think just... So this is like a game design decision that they made where like if you don't respond to his text, it actually doesn't advance his storyline. And so at the end of the game, I was like, is this game never going to end? And then I realized I had to like go back and talk to the stalker in huh. order to get him to like complete mm-hmm. stalking me and then complete his plot line in the game, which ends the game and gets you to the credits. Um, and... I don't I don't know if that I don't blame them for designing that game that way, but I feel like it unintentionally sends a weird message about dating where it's like if Mm. you don't engage with somebody, the relationship won't advance for good or ill. Mm. And that I think it actually runs contrary to the kinds of messages that I think they want to send about how it isn't your fault. But by making the game in such a way that like it only progresses if you interact with it,
0: because that's how video
2: games work. And also even the idea of a content warning itself is like you're opting into this game and you can stop pressing the buttons at any time, like is inherently the opposite of how real life works. Anyway, I just found all of that sort of interesting, perhaps a little bit deeper and more interesting than the game itself. Um, But yeah, I Mm. guess I recommend it if you want something that is... uh, doing it's kind of interesting there's some fun dialogue but
1: it's interesting you bring that up because I feel like that is a way more nuanced and interesting criticism that the game will let you not respond to him than the criticism that was actually floating around which is that you should be able to disable that this is happening at all which I find kind of like I I don't really want to have too strong a take on this and I don't have too strong a take on this because I'm not in a position where I've ever been like stalked by a a person I was in a relationship with and so I can't really speak from personal experience here but something didn't Really sit right with me of this idea that, like, a a part of art that is disturbing should be turned off like that mm-hmm. does, doesn't that's like that really just is up to the artist what how they want to challenge people and what they want that yeah. to say and as long and as what they want to say good, yeah yeah and, and as long as there's a content warning like which is totally healthy and a smart way to approach it um, and as long as that is like robust then I don't really think that they need to do much more if that's what they want to say but what the point you're making is a lot more interesting because that's like what they are saying in the game whether inadvertently or not and yeah. that that is what should be criticized
2: I know. And I I wasn't, I don't think it, I don't know how I would design something like that because it's like, how else do you advance a storyline other than clicking your way through it? And like, is there a way for the game to remove control from me entirely and have that be the story? I mean, that would be a lot more horrifying than what it is. As it is, it's actually kind of tame compared to some more graphic dating sims that are out there where there are some very terrifying bad endings and, you know, people are into that and that's all fine with me. <laughs> you mean like um, Doki Doki Literature <laughs> Club? Yeah, like, for example, Doki Doki Literature Club. Who, boy, that game also has a content warning and it deserves one. But yeah, this this game is actually pretty light and frothy in comparison, even though it has like a little bit of some things to say about abuse. It's, it's mostly... Pretty ephemeral stuff. But that's okay. I thought I thought it was fine.
0: Yeah, we've had um Tani X short, the head of Kit Fox, was on Triple Click yep. or back when it was Kodaki split screen a million years ago. She was really fun to talk to. She would probably, I'm sure, She's be an great. interesting person to talk to about this game.
2: Oh, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Yep. I'm sure they debated it a lot in designing oh, gosh, it. And yeah. I feel like that was probably even more fascinating than the final product could ever be. <laughs> Just like deciding how they were gonna tell the story and the ups and downs of it, which yeah, I don't know. Anyway. It's a video game. It's called Boyfriend Dungeon.
1: Nice. Boyfriend Dungeon.
0: Um, Kirk, what's your one more thing? Nice. Well, my one more thing I alluded to earlier, and I'll go kind of quick on it because... So Sony sent me a code for this game last night, and I've played a few hours of it, so I'll definitely make this my one more thing a bit later. We're recording this episode early, so mm-hmm. this game is just out on the day that we're recording it. Um, I may even bing my way in here and share some additional thoughts. But anyways, I really like this game so far. I sort of... For some reason, didn't think I would, or like I thought that I would find it just too derivative. But like I alluded to uh in the earlier segment, it's it's really Pretty a pretty beautiful and, and lovely game. I really am, am sort of digging the vibe. Um, a lot of people have mentioned the lack of a mini-map and the fact that you set waypoints and then flick the little touchpad and the wind just blows mm-hmm. where you're supposed to go. Yeah, I knew you would love very, that part, Very, very yeah. cool. The, the, and the way it looks is just the way the wind blows through everything is just so lovely. And it's it's really wow. fun. I'm really digging it. And Sounds the main weird. thing I wanted to share is I'm really enjoying the music. The music is composed by mm-hmm. Ilan Eshkiri and Shigeru Umebayashi. Wow. Uh, there's this really cool blog post by actually an arranger named Bill Hempstapot who worked for Sony. I believe he's a he's a he's kind of does music for a variety of Sony projects, and he wrote this really detailed blog post that will link in the show notes about just the process of arranging and recording this soundtrack. And of course, so it's got the Shakuhachi, it's got the shamisen. There's lots of Taiko. There's all sorts of um, traditional Japanese instruments. cool, man. I mean, it really has that samurai movie vibe. There's an early cutscene where like the hand goes up with the katana and he begins drying it. And then this shamisen note like rings out. And I was like, oh shit, this is going to be good. And the game really has that energy. It's really, um, it's a very serious game. It's taking itself very seriously. It's protagonist takes the samurai code very seriously. And I find the seriousness... It works for me. I find it refreshing. So I'm really enjoying this game so far, only a couple hours in, and I will talk about it more in the future. But so far, so good. Cool. Yeah, I'm
1: curious to see if you stick with it because it becomes very Ubisoft y, collect a mm. um, over time. But I also really enjoyed what I played with it. I played of it. I just didn't finish it because I was just like, okay, I've seen everything this game has to show. Mm. Mm.
2: Nobody's ever beaten a Ubisoft game, so that's fine. <laughs> that's, that's
1: true. <laughs> Nobody has,
0: um, except for Steven Cicillo.
2: <laughs> that's right.
0: Bing! Feature Kirk here and like I mentioned we recorded this episode a few days earlier than we usually do and it was only like a day after I'd gotten a code for Ghost of Tsushima which I now know is how it's pronounced um, I've played a bunch more of this game over the weekend and uh, the first few days of the week here so I thought I would just chime in since we had a little extra time in this episode and just give a few more thoughts on the game. It's really good. I really like it. Um, I have not lost interest in it despite the fact that it is very much one of those, um, one of those open world games where you go and explore things on your map and, and find Stuff, I'm finding it to just be really refreshing. I think it's kind of partly just how it's hitting me right now, this point in the year. This long after Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which I liked, but which, you know, I didn't finish and just was sort of overwhelming in a lot of ways and also kind of unsatisfying in other ways. This game I'm finding very satisfying and very just like straightforwardly good. So I just wanted to shout out a few more things that I've noticed as I've played it. It's uh, it's just a low-key game. It has a really nice kind of grounded vibe that I'm enjoying, especially after Assassin's Creed, which is usually operating on so many different frequencies with all the future stuff and the technology. This is just, you're a guy you're in Japan, um, and you're moving through the world trying to help people out, and that's pretty much it. It's it's narratively really straightforward. It's really beautiful-looking, as I mentioned, just gorgeous. The photo mode in this game is the most incredible photo mode I've ever seen. It does this thing where when you initially go into it, the game pauses, so all the characters pause, but the world keeps moving, and there's such beautiful wind and motion in this world. You know, you're always out in some field with the sun cascading across the grass, and that all keeps moving while your character stands still, it's almost like designed to be made into gifts, and it's so gorgeous looking. I'll just stop and look at the game and just sort of take in the natural beauty of it. So that's really cool. Combat is great, and I can tell that I'm getting the benefit of a year having passed since this game came out. I gather it was somewhat buggy when it came out, and I've run into a few bugs. No, Definitely no more than you'll see in, in other similar open-world games like this, but um, it's not... It's not noticeably buggy in any way. It actually feels really polished. The combat system is very balanced and very, very fun. I'm really enjoying the way the combat works. It's a lot like Neo. You kind of cycle through stances that you have to use against different enemies. And at first, I was a little baffled by it. But it's like, it's one of these games where we have to unlock a bunch of stuff. So now that I've unlocked a bunch of stuff, I have almost all my stances unlocked and all these stealth abilities. The game is just super fun. Like, I look forward to every fight that I get in because it's always kind of this puzzle. You know, here's a shield guy, so I'm going to use this stance against him. And here's a someone with a spear. I'm going to use this stance against him. And you're kind of always cycling through things in combat. Also, like they've patched in a bunch of stuff, like they added an alternate control scheme that makes it like a Dark Souls game where you can fight with the shoulder buttons, with R1 and R2 for your heavy and light attack, which is great and way better for me than the face buttons, probably because I'm old and my thumb is starting to like hurt when I play games where I have to mash the face buttons a bunch, but also just because it feels good uh, to have to have the uh, the attack buttons up on the shoulders like that. I've just gotten used to it. But overall, it's kind of like Neo. I mean, it feels satisfying in the way Neo is, though of course it's not brutally difficult and punishing like Neo quickly becomes, or especially Neo 2 quickly becomes. So I'm finding that just really satisfying as well. It's got lots of smart ideas. I mentioned the wind thing already, the way the wind blows you where you're going, but that really is a wonderful way to move through a world that's making me happy about the fact that all these games are dropping mini-maps. I like the little birds that sort of show you cool places to go. I like like following the little foxes around. That's always nice. But yeah, I mean, it's a really good game. I really am enjoying it and have not gotten sick of it, uh, you know, even though it's kind of fell into its groove now I'm definitely through the opening I actually like this part of the game more than I like the intro as much as I like that title card sequence um I'm just finding it to be a very satisfying game so we had a little extra time thank you for indulging me um you can pretend I was talking to Maddie and Jason but really I was just talking to all of you Ghost of Tsushima pretty darn cool game good job sucker punch I'm really having a good time with it okay back to the show bing
1: my one more thing is a new TV show on HBO called White Lotus, mm. um, which is
0: ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I finished this show last a, night. <laughs> oh, you did? Okay, good.
2: I haven't seen it yet. So I please it's talk absurd. about it without spoiling That's it. Great. That's great. That's good
0: because I'm sure a lot of people have seen headlines but not been I, spoiled, I also so. would
2: like to see it. So, yes. you know. Yeah, yes, I won't spoil carefully. it, but it's
1: it's six episodes, so it's very easy to get through. Um, it's on HBO. It's a show about um, a bunch of rich people going to this island resort that caters to rich people, and it's about their problems at this resort and in the staff Hawaii, that they right? in Hawaii. Yeah, in, in Hawaii. Um, it's about their problems and the staff, and the show opens up with a dead body, and so you see it's actually the the show opens up one week um, after the 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 resort trip um and so you see a dead body being loaded into a plane and then you go back in time and the rest of the whole show takes place during that week specifically you um, see a
0: coffin the dead body is not identified oh yeah sure mm-hmm. sure sure so That's you don't important. Do know who they died.
2: play one week by bare naked ladies yes, every they do. single time they say it's the been one sir.
1: week since you <laughs> killed that person mm-hmm. um, yeah, and great. so okay so you don't know who dies uh, until the very end um, and that's kind of the the hook to get you watching um, okay. but really it's a show about class consciousness and the class divide and um, rich people and uh, colonization and Hawaii and um, how the creator and main writer and I think only writer on the show Mike White um, has no idea how to write Gen Z characters and it's about a whole bunch of things hmm. um, it's very entertaining it's a very entertaining show and um, I don't know if I liked it that much, but it was very (laughs) enjoyable to watch. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, It doesn't, it's not, I'm not sure like what it was really trying to say at the end of things. And I was kind of left with this, this, weird feeling um especially with some of the decisions that they made about um endings they gave some of the characters but um but but yeah i mean it's it's very entertaining it's very awkward and funny and weird and um uh yeah i enjoyed it i recommend watching it i just don't know if i liked it as a piece of art as much as i liked it as like something that kept me entertained for six hours
0: yeah i'll just say this for anyone who's watched it i was actually like pretty profoundly bummed by this show not because i didn't like it it was it was saying what it wanted to say i'll say that but like i really walked away like pretty pretty like dispirited by it like wait
1: so what did you think because i i was i wasn't really sure what it was trying to say by the end of
0: I it no it's just like a prof i just i thought it was a very a very cynical and honest th- like it had a lot to say but I think and I think sure. that it was saying it it didn't screw the ending up but I was like you know I, I would mention that for anyone who hasn't watched it that it really it bummed yeah. me out I mean the, the final episode I really was like fuck at the end of it which like yeah. is what they wanted and, and mission accomplished but it really did it really did bum me out
1: anyway we're being vague too, so yes. as not to spoil it yes. for you Maddie or for I appreciate for it. listeners <laughs> out there but yeah um, you should definitely watch it it's like definitely worth mm-hmm. watching for sure
2: and it's in the zeitgeist yeah, I gotta thing, watch it like, in the next three days yeah. or Am I even yeah. going to matter as a person right. if you I don't not manage to watch it? You watch where it is
1: now. Um, there's uh, a journalist in it um, who is uh, yeah, is I a have great heard character. That. Yeah. Um, a lot of great characters and great performances oh, in yeah. the show. The actors just did a great job. Um, one of the uh, the Gen Z aforementioned Gen Z characters is uh, her name is Sydney Sweeney, and you you might recognize her face. She was in like um, that new Quentin Tarantino movie about the Mansons, and um, she she's been in a couple of things, but um, she is phenomenal. And Connie Britton is in it; she's great. A lot of other a lot of really great. Steve Zahn having a great time. Yes, 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 yes. Um, <laughs> Steve Zahn, who looks. Like fifty something year old Steve Zahn. Very strange. And yes, definitely having a good time. Um you see his scrotum at one point. Maybe. It could right. be a stunt scrotum. Sold. <laughs> Unless it's a stunt scrotum, yeah. But definitely. Uh, well in uh, that case,
2: I'm boycotting it. Nope.
1: Definitely. <laughs> Maddie, out of Maddie's out. <laughs> and that is it. White Lotus. Yeah, if anyone wants to go check it out, I definitely watch it. It's it's worth watching. Entertaining. But yeah, bummer ending. I agree with you there, Kirk. And that is it for this week's episode, Kirk. Maddie, see you both next time see you next
0: week bye triple click is produced by jason schreier maddie myers and me kirk hamilton i edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music our show art is by tom dj some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration you can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes